This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Continue on our series through Nehemiah. It's the last one. I hope you've enjoyed the series. I certainly have enjoyed it. And um, chapter 10. Uh, let me bring up, uh, let's do the whole book really quick. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He gets, hears that Jerusalem's walls are destroyed. Uh, he um, hears that Jerusalem's walls are destroyed. He cries, he prays, he repents. Uh, the king, uh, Artaxerxes, sends him back to Jerusalem. 55 days later, the walls are rebuilt, push, push through opposition and challenges, and then at the end of the building that walls, it's, as we said over a couple of weeks ago, his task is not done, because building something uh, out of bricks and mortar is, is much more difficult than, yeah, building community is... Um, so much more difficult, so much more time-consuming. That's great, thank you. So much more time-consuming than, um, uh, than building a walls. And so we said, actually, that what they did, the very first thing they did is they had this massive 40,000-strong uh, uh, Bible reading, uh, and they read through the first five books of our Bible. And when they did, they heard the story of God's incredible faithfulness and goodness, and also struck by their own unfaithfulness as a people, but yet, and so they wept and repented, they went through the Day of Atonement, which is where they uh, would sacrifice uh, an animal, one, uh, I'm going into details, I'd lose myself there, but they sacrificed, bring blood into the the Holy of Holies to forgive their sins, and then the second, what I talked about last week is, they uh, celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, and I said that the Feast of Tabernacles is not just about going camping for a week, but it's about saying that our understanding that our own lives, are, our tents, our own lives are temporary. And we need to live our, uh, with a view of our lives being temporary and, and God's eternity in view. Because so often we get caught in the day-to-day of our temporary lives and we lose the big picture. So that's what's happened in Nehemiah 8. And, um, and then in, at, at the end of chapter 9... Uh, we have Nehemiah's big prayer. Nehemiah prays this massive prayer that, that talks about that God's faithfulness. We talked about this pattern, God's faithfulness, and then Israel's kind of blessing, and then how Israel got comfortable and would forget God, and then they would drift away from God, and they'd fall into uh, their enemy's hands, and then they would cry out to God, and he would deliver them. We talked about that cycle. And then we get at the end of that in Nehemiah 39... Uh, 38, the last verse of chapter 9, we get this. So, so let's, let's get in. Are we up to speed with the story? Okay, so Nehemiah is writing in his journal and he says, In view of all this, that's all that's gone before, we make a binding commitment. Put it in writing, and our leaders and Levites and priests are fixing their seals to it. And then it lists this massive group of people, of, of the kind of leaders of households and, and tribes and people, and says... Um, we agree to this as well. So and then it picks up what they, what they say in their agreement in, in verse 28. It says, The rest of the people 
on all who separated themselves from the neighbouring peoples. That, that's an interesting phrase. We'll come back to that. Separated themselves from the neighbouring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters, and all who were able to understand. All those now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey We don't like that word, but we'll come back to it. Carefully, all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our sons. And when the neighboring peoples bring their merchandise or grain to sell it on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we'll forgo or rest from working the land and we'll cancel all debts. Then... Verse 32, it says, We'll assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God. We also assume, 35, we also assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of God every year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree. As it's also written in the law, we'll bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle and our herds and our flocks to the house of God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we'll bring this from the, to the storehouses of the house of God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, our grain offerings, and the fruit of all our trees, and all our new wine and olive oil. We'll bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. And then it says, verse 39 finishes, we will not neglect, neglect the house of God. So what we're hearing is their commitments. I'm going to roll through some of those commitments. But let me just make a comment. I'm not going to pick up this but I just want to comment about commitment. I, I think that we are, as a society, a little bit commitment-averse. Um, let me try and work that through with you just to get you thinking about this. We, we love freedom. And certainly we see the freedom as the ability to make choices. So we feel that if a person hasn't got uh, the ability to make choices, um, then they're not free. And so freedom and choice is really tied closely together with us. Uh, and we feel, I can choose that, I can do that, I can choose uh, my partner, I can choose where I live, I can choose my job. And we, we like that sense of choice. But actually what happens, uh, but once we choose, we have to commit to a choice, yeah? And then what happens is suddenly all our choices disappear. So we love choice. I've, 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 I've thought this when we were buying a house, thought it a number of years ago. When you're looking for a house, you think, oh, I could live there, I could live there, wouldn't that be lovely, wouldn't that be, oh, that's nice, that's... And you've got all these potential choices, obviously depending on your budget, some of you have got more choices than others, but, but you've got all these potential choices, but once you choose, you've got to live in the house you choose, haven't you? It's like that with relationships. I know the, 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 the youngsters have gone out, uh, but I'm sure it's the same for some of us, older ones. It's like that in relationships. You think, oh, all the choice of all these lovely ladies and gentlemen. Yeah? But once you choose, choice becomes commitments. Becomes commitments. And then what happens is we struggle. Because what we, commitment, we need to be faithful to our commitments. We need to say, I've committed to you and I'm faithful to that. I'm going to stick with it. And we love that. We love faithfulness in other people. We hate unfaithfulness in our our politicians. We hate unfaithfulness in our politicians. They said that, and now they've said that. Nick Clegg, he said that, and now he's saying that. He's gone. We hate unfaithfulness uh, in our politicians. But actually, the the thing is, we feel pressure if if people expect faithfulness from us. So we want people to be faithful. You made that commitment and stick with it. 
But when people put pressure on us and we talk about commitment, you go, hang on. You're just closing down my freedom and reducing my choices. Do you track with what I'm saying here? Yes, yeah, sort of. And so when we talk about commitments, it can sound heavy, but actually it's, about, it's the freedom to say, I'm making a choice and I'm going to go through with it. And that, as Christians, that is a, a vital part of our walk with God. He makes that commitment to us and we make that commitment to him. So what I want to do is I want to choose, uh, I want to work through five commitments that they make. Five commitments where they say, I'm going to be faithful to this and I'm going to bounce it and reflect it onto us. Okay, you, you, you tracking what we're going to do? So the first commitment is obviously to, there's a little clue up there. And there's, what's the clue? Uh, you could just, God first. We should have probably done it as two words with a capital G and a capital F. But your first commitment is to God first. There should be a slide there, Zach, if you're tracking. Yes. Faithfulness to God faithfulness to God. They, it says, we bind ourselves. Whoa, that's a strong word, isn't it? We bind ourselves. We tie ourselves. We, we, we strap ourselves to follow the law of God, to carefully obey all the words of the law of God. And when you hear that word obey, how, how do you feel? Turn to the person next to you and think, do you feel positive about the word obey or negative? It might depend where you are in your life cycle. If you're sitting with your mom, then obviously it might be interesting. How do you, just say to the person next to you, do you feel positive or negative about the word obey? Just turn to the person next to you. Okay, hands up who feels positive about the word obey. Oh, you all know where I'm going, you cheats. <laughs> you wretched cheats. And who feels slightly negative about the word obey? Okay, why, Paul, why do you feel... Oh, we don't want to ex- expose you personally, <laughs> but why do you feel negative about the word obey? Because I want to live, the life, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. I don't want someone to tell me how to live my life. So, you don't, so, it's, so obey is... It's a lack of freedom. It's a lack of freedom, isn't it? Yeah? Go on, Laura. I refuse to obey my husband in our marriage. Marriage. Yeah, we'll pray for you later. Lord Jesus... <laughs> Let this no. And I did it because I didn't want to make a promise. I felt I couldn't. Yeah, and it's a challenge. Obey feels heavy. So when Jesus says, "If you love me, you'll obey my commandments," how do you feel about that? What does it make you feel about Jesus? It makes you feel love is conditional, doesn't it? Okay, it makes you feel that Jesus says, "If you love me." You will obey me, and I will then, in return, as part of the transaction, love you. We, we track that way, don't we? So often, I'm like that. So often, even though I know that that's not true, I, I track that way. I think, oh, I've done well this week. My Bible in the year is going well, and I've prayed, and I've not sinned so much, and I've not argued with Naomi, or whatever the, the issues have been. Uh, <laughs> It's unscripted, you know. Uh, but, but I can feel like I've done well. And I feel, therefore, God loves me. So I feel it's conditional. If you love me, if you obey me, I'll love you. But that is completely the wrong way around, isn't it? When he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, what he's saying is there's passion and love and commitment and faithfulness, which means I want to do what you want. I want to do what you want. It's a joy for me to obey you. 
One is called legalism. It's so prevalent in church. One is called grace. Paul says, the grace of God I made me say no to sin. And so this is interesting. How do we, how do we work with this sense of commitment to Jesus? Because obey is what he's looking for. He's looking for love, but actually he's looking for obey. So, so the, the Great Commission says, go, in, go into all the world, um, make disciples of all nations, preaching and baptizing them, a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. We need to live holy. We need to live right. It does matter that we do what God has asked. It really does matter. Because what if we don't? It's not saying that God won't love us, and we'll look at that at the end, but what it's saying is we don't really love him. We don't really love him, and we'll talk about this when we talk on the 6th of uh, September about knowing God. Because actually that sense of knowing him changes everything. To do his will is a delight. And people in the world outside think that God is trying to close down your choices and freedom and commit you to obedience. But actually we know that he wants to wrap his arms around us in unconditional love. And from that we say, it's my pleasure to do your will. And so that they make that commitment. They make that first commitment, that, that commitment to say, I am going to be faithful to you. I'm going to walk in your ways. And in a sense, that's the plumb line of all other commitments. God first is the plumb line of all other choices. If you get God first, everything else flows. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else follows. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Try love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love God, it's tough. So that's the first commitment and we're going to dig into that later. But I want to just pull out some of these other ones that they make and I think it's quite interesting. So the next one I've called faithfulness to God in the face of culture. Now when you read it, it doesn't sound like that, but let's track with me. It says... We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. It's making an obvious statement about don't intermarry. Don't marry. If you're a Jew, if you're from the people of God, don't marry somebody who's not from the people of God. And we kind of get that, don't you? You go to youth group and they say, now, if you're a Christian, you must not marry a non-Christian. We, we track that, Yes? But actually, we can see that sometimes as very restrictive. People, I've spoken to girls in, in their 20s and, and, and later, and they said, well, the thing is, it means it really reduces my choices. There's so few cool blokes. Guys can do the same. There's so few good women or Christians. That's really reducing my choices. Do I really have to do that? Is it so fundamental? But what it's saying is, if you, if you love God... How can you be with somebody who doesn't? It's a challenge. I've got a daughter. She's going to face that challenge. She has faced it. I've got sons. Are they going to just go for the hottest chick around no matter what their values? No. Because it's important. But actually, let's just track it. This isn't some racial thing. Uh, when, when God says, because actually when it says don't marry a non-Jew, I think the Jews are, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not down on the Jews particularly politically, but, but it's a big, they, they can see it as a bit of racial bigotry. You know, don't marry somebody who's not one of us. You know, you had that in South Africa. Blacks couldn't marry whites. So it's not saying that. It's not saying don't marry across your socioeconomic kind of group or your, your ethnic group. No, it's not saying that. It's saying there's something fundamental about who you are. And it's a mission thing. Excuse me. It's a mission thing. Because what our purpose in the world is to make a demonstration of Jesus. And what happened to the, to the Jews when they intermarried with the nations around them, instead of demonstrating the goodness of God and imaging God as God's great people, they started to look like the nations around them. They started to look just the same. We often have that conversation in our house. Your behavior is just the same. What's the difference? Your language, the things you do, the places you go, whatever. It's just the same. There's no difference. But, and actually, that's because we've just lost. The, the, the culture's come in and, and taken over. So what happened when the Israelites married, married uh, the, the sons and daughters intermarried, what happened is these, these would worship fertility gods, and they'd worship pagan gods, and they'd work instead of a god who gives life, they'd be worshiping kind of child sacrifice gods, and these crazy gods. And you read it through the Old Testament all the time. Compromised. Mixed up stuff. And the uniqueness of their message got lost. And so, so it's interesting in culture, as, as culture comes in, as, as what the world says comes in, let's strip it bigger than marriage, as the, what the world is saying comes in and what God is saying comes in, when they interface, what are we supposed to do? Well, in one sense, we're not supposed to, you know, no pun intended, well, yeah, we're maybe get into bed with the world. We're not supposed to be married to the world. But what, what, what's the answer? Are we saying we need to cut ourselves off, that the world should be, we should cut ourselves off from the world because that, that, that world out there is so bad and believes all these bad things that we'll cut ourselves off and we'll get in our little Christian bunkers and we'll hanker down and we'll just have friendship with each other? Is that what the Bible's saying? Some churches do that. The other side is, hey, there's, we're just so in the world, we're so cool, we just flow with the flow, and you know, we'll just mix with what God says, with what the world says, and, and before you know it, you don't even know the difference. Is that the answer? No, we want both, and, and, and the way that, that Jesus prayed it, so it's not that we have Christian schools, and Christian radio, and Christian this, and Christian that, and Christian cafes, and everything's Christian. Ooh, if my kids end up going to a... A school that, that's not Christian, what, what's going to happen to them? Yeah? And then these people say, what's the matter with you in your Christian bunker? And you have this debate. But what did Jesus say? He says, praise in John 17, my prayer, Father, is not that you take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. There's a sense where we need to be in the world, you know what it says, don't you? But not of the world. We need to be... In there, understanding the people, not so unaware that we, that, that we, the way we dress. I mean, one of the things that really frustrated me when I was a, man, I mean to run. When I was a, a young Christian, young kid and my parents were Christians, we were so off the pace culturally. You know? Thanks, Rose. You know, we were so off the pace culturally. What we, why we, what we dressed and what we wear. And my mom would say, if you go to the pub, 
You'll become an instant alcoholic. <laughs> you know, if you go to a disco, she, she said, it's really called disclothe cue. It's like as if they take their clothes off. My mum died a year to go today, so I'm very fond of her faithfulness that she taught me actually to be faithful to God. But she wasn't really that good at saying, how do you work with the world? And she was like, whoa! I remember I wasn't one time I was allowed to go to a James Bond film. See, you know, dirty James Bond getting into bed with people. What's the matter with you? Don't want to go. And so, but, but actually, so you can do that, but you think, no, we need to be right in there, but absolutely spotless. Right in there, but absolutely spotless. So our, our alcohol intake, our internet history, our social contacts, our spending, our TV watching, all should say something about where we are in relation to culture. We want to be absolutely pure as he is pure, but absolutely right in there. Jesus did it wonderfully, didn't he? He's in there with sinners and tax collectors eating and hanging out. But what he thought is, it's not that their uncleanness, this is what the Jews thought, their, un- their uncleanness would make him unclean, stay away, that's what the Jews still teach. He thought, no, my holiness is going to make you holy. Yeah? Contagious holiness. That's what we should live in. Not contagious sin, oh, it's going to infect us. And so, so we make this commitment. No, let's, let's be clear about what things are non-negotiable. We're not going to marry in, in, uh, non-Christians. We're not going to blur the boundaries so it makes no difference. But yet we're going to live out there so people say, what is it about you? That's the commitment. We need to teach, as parents, to teach our children to make wise choices about friends, to teach them to love Jesus and to love the world. We don't want to love the world so much that we've got no commitment to Jesus. And we don't want to fear the world so much that the world never knows about him. Amen? A couple more. Okay, the next one is the faithfulness to God in the face of materialism. What they say here is basically what would happen is that the Sabbath, which was Saturday for the Jews, I guess we don't really have a Sabbath, but it's a principle, but let's say Sunday for us, uh, that they would say, we're not going to trade with the nations on Sunday, on Saturday. We're not going to trade on the Sabbath. We're not going to do business on the Sabbath. We're not going to be continue what we would do for our career Monday to Friday on, 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 the, on the Sabbath. They say, when they come and trade with us, we're not going to do that. And what they're making a statement, it's not like anti-Sunday trading. And I think we've lost that one, haven't we? You know, you couldn't, when I was a kid, all the shops were closed. Now, I'm frustrated. I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, yeah, I'm frustrated that the shops are open on Sunday. But I don't think it's just about Sunday trading. I think it's a much deeper principle than that, or whatever your views have on Sunday trading. I think it's something about saying, what is first, what's, what are we faithful to? What are we faithful to? Are we faithful to saying, and it isn't about working on Sunday or not. You know, hospitals, I want them to work on Sunday. If I'm in a, hit by a truck, I want to be hospital working on Sunday. You know, I want the police to chase criminals on Sunday. So, you know, I, I don't want them to have... But, so, it's not about that. But the principle is, where is our priority? Is our priority in making money, in our career, in our advancement, in our self-sufficiency, in our busyness? Is that where our priority is? Because that says, I can never switch off. I can never switch off. 
I played ball, golf with Paul on um, Friday. He's a very good golfer. We were playing one particular hole. I think I'd had five shots to the edge of the green. He'd got there in one or two. And so what happened? We suddenly start talking. And, he start, and we start talking about this very principle. How would you just... He's very nice to me. I love Paul. It's, how would you just struggle to switch off? You just feel sometimes you've got to make it all happen. You've got to make the church happen. You've got to make the discipleship happen. You've got to make community happen. You know, if, if I don't do it, I feel bad. Oh, somebody's left out. Somebody's forgotten. Somebody's not cared for. And it's almost like, do you know what? It's the same principle. So we're play, having this long conversation. And then we look behind, and these, these two ladies, <laughs> you know, like, when are they going to play their shorts? <laughs> We saw them afterwards, didn't we? We saw one of the ladies, and I said, look, really sorry. We didn't say we're having this big discipleship moment on the golf course. <laughs> but it was really, you know, and we, we had a good little natter with her, but, but it's like Paul just kind of said, how would I just reflect this on? And I could talk about Paul's stuff, but I won't do that publicly. <laughs> we're in a three together with Harold. Um, but, but there's that sense, do you feel that you've got to make it all happen in your life? You can't stop trading. You can't Sabbath. Sabbath is what? About resting, isn't it? What they're saying is actually, we could make more money. We're going to lose a seventh of the working week if we don't do that. And some other days as well, that holy days, we're going to lose a seventh of the working week. But we're saying, no, actually, we prioritize God. We prioritize God. Actually, then that flows into the days one to six. So actually, it's God who provides. It's God who gives me, blesses me. You know, a long time before it was trendy to talk about work-life balance, God created the Sabbath. It's really interesting. We forget this in our kind of post-Christian world, that most empires, the slaves would never have a day off. They never had a day off. But in Judaism, everyone had a day off. But they should have slaves or not. It was another debatable thing. And I think, okay, let's, we can track with that. But, but do you understand what I'm saying? God provided right at the beginning the economic system is not what we're serving. Getting rich, getting fast, get, getting it done is not what we're serving. We have a day off. We have a day off to be with God. We have a day off to be with God's people. We have a day off to rest and say, God, you're upholding the universe, not me. In fact, when you sleep, you're doing that. If you're so stressed, why do you, what do you think is happening to the universe and your economic system when you're sleeping? And some people can't sleep, can they? Constantly worrying, constantly processing. Diazepam, stress, worry, worry, worry. I'm carrying the world on my shoulders. And they say, no, we make a commitment not to do that. Not to do that. We're going to say our, our life comes from him. Let's go to number four. I had some more to say on that, but don't worry. Number f- okay, so the next one is, that's a, so that's the third commitment. The fourth commitment is this. Faithfulness to God in the faith of poverty. And I'm going to keep getting in your face about this one. But they say this, verse 31, every seventh year we're going to stop working, it's a similar principle, and cancel all debts. Actually, it's amazing that actually in Israel, what, what, they, what Moses had said, God had said to Moses is, every seventh year, cancel all the credit cards. Everybody's debt's cancelled. And every 50th year, balance everybody up. Everybody who's rich, they, they get taken back to where they were, and everybody's poor gets taken up. 
you immediately you see the challenges, don't you? You think, yeah, we're all maxing our credit cards on year six. Forgive my debts. And it, it, but, but we've got so used to being told that people in poverty are going to be exploiting the system. Or that inequality is actually okay because it's meritocracy. And it often, sorry, I mustn't get political. But what they're saying is that actually, no, every 50th year, year of Jubilee, we all go back to what we had. Everyone had the same inheritance. We all go back to what we had. Because they want it to be a sense of togetherness. And inequality divides. And poverty crushes. So one of the things that we talked about in our group uh, at, the, uh, at G1C this week is like, what are we going to do about the poor? We've, we've, we've listened to the sermon I preached, and I'm in that group, so I've got my foot on it. But also the people in the group, we said, what are we going to do? So Abby talked about, maybe we could go visit some people in an old people's home. We're trying to press on to that. I'm keen for us to, say, do some debt relief or help people in debt relief, Christians Against Poverty. Steve and Joanna, they're not here today, but they, they want us to say, let's, let's look about food bank. But actually, we need to make a commitment to say, we will be faithful to do something about poverty. To do something about poverty. We need to say, actually, we, we, you know, we're going to care about the poor. What happens when John the Baptist comes to Jesus and says, are you the one... Or should we look for another one? What does Jesus say? Does anyone say? I'll, I'll, I'll start it off and you can finish. It's easy when I start it off. It said, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and... What's the and? Comes after the and? The gospel is given to the poor. The good news is given to the poor. It's, and it's a mark. We'll come back to it. It's a mark of Christian faithfulness to God. God is in the debt relief business. Father, we pray, don't we? One of the things says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've changed that to forgive our sins as uh, you forgive those. As we forgive, what's it say? Thank you, as we forgive those that sin against us. But actually, God is in the debt relief business. You have a debt of sin that God, that you cannot pay. So don't be like that person. You know the story? Massive debt to the king. Goes to the king and says, let me off my debts. I'm such a debtor, such a sinner. Will you let me off my debts? And he says, I cancel your debts. He goes out with a spring in his set, sees the guy, owes him 50 quid and says, where's that 50 quid? What's the matter with you? Come on, Paul. He says, throw him in prison. We don't, if we don't care about the poor, I'm using it as an example of poor, I'm sorry, we'll work with it. If, if we don't care about the poor, we're saying... We don't understand how much we've been forgiven. He who's forgiven much, says Jesus, loves much. We need to do something about the poor. Last one. This is in the text. I haven't put it in there to improve our finances. I'm glad our finances were good this week, uh, this month, but here we go. Faithful to not to God in giving. And actually, in this context, it's not just generosity to the poor and those around them. It's actually to God's, God's, God's house, which would be us. It says, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God and offerings for all the duties of the house of God. We assu- I like this. We assume the responsibility. He says it three times. We assume the responsibility for bringing our first fruits of our crops and the firstborn of our sons and flocks and herds to the house of God. They bring their sons and say, he's going to work for you, God. That's what... Remember the story of Samuel? Hannah couldn't have any kids. God, give me a child, give me a child, give me a child, give me a child. I'll give him to you. First, First one, to you. 
That doesn't mean your eldest son has got to work for the church. Zachary, thank you. You can if you want. But, you know, but there's a principle. Everything we have is his. Everything we have is from his. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot put God first and love your money. There's no room for greed and generosity in the same heart. So God says you need to give your money. And actually, I would prefer in this passage if it just said, give your money away to anybody. Give, be generous to everybody. And it has done that with saying, talking about covering the debts of the poor. But in this context, it says bring your money into church. Bring your money into church. Now, I don't, we don't teach tithing in this church. We go around and say, you've all got to give 10%. But actually, they reckon that um, in... Uh, in Israel, they gave much more than 10%. They gave the 10%, the first of all, their goodness, their grain, their fruit, their sons, or whatever, give all that. And then there'd be special offerings, and they'd give that on top of that, and then they'd give to the poor as well. They reckon that, that, that when Israel was functioning in health, they would give between 15 and 20% of their income away. You think, ah, oh, I knew there was a sting in the tail. I knew you were really after my money. That's the job with churches, you're after your money. No, God's after your heart. But yet, when God gets their heart, it says he gets their wallet. There's a story, I forget the guy's name. He was baptized, an American guy who's got baptized. I think he was a wealthy philanthropist from, uh, from Texas. And he got baptized. And after he got baptized, he starts to do a bit like Zacchaeus, just give money away. Just give money away. And his friend said to him, what happened? He says, well, when God baptized my heart, he baptized my wallet as well. We need our wallets to be baptized. We need them to be cleansed. We need our bank statements to say, this is a priority for us. So we, want to, we talked about this, living in a sense of eternity. Give your money. So I'd encourage you, give your money. When I give my money, I don't think I'm giving it to God first. It's difficult because I draw a salary from God first, but that's what the Levites did do. They drew a salary from, from the, what was given. That's how they were kept. But I don't feel I'm giving my money to God first. I say, I'm giving this to God. I'm giving this to God. Before I ever worked for church, we, we gave to God. We've, Naomi's family have been brilliant, taught us. They've always get, that Naomi's mum and dad are, are embarrassing. I could tell you stories that they'd be embarrassed of, of, of how generous they've been. Little headline, when he left a big church, they took up a big offering, and he said, I'm not having it. It was five, I don't know, was it six figures, but it was a big offering. He said, I'm not having it. So I haven't done this to get rich give it away. I think, well, that challenges me so much with my small thinking. Give it to God. Give it to God. Randy Elkhorn, I'll land it here. No, one more. Randy Elkhorn says, says in his book, Money, Possessions and Eternity, which I really encourage you to read. <coughs> Money is the test of our true character. It's an index of our spiritual life. Our use of money tells a story. In the sense how we relate to money and possessions is the story of our lives. If you're proud, that's a discipleship issue. If you're a gossip, that's a discipleship issue. If you're struggling with internet porn, that's a discipleship issue. But if you're hand tight with your money, that's a discipleship issue. They're all the same. We have no-go areas in this church. We want to be open about that. The difference between our hands and God's hands is that we're tight-fisted and he's open-handed. It says in Psalm 145, open your hand and God will satisfy the desire of everything. 
Sing to the Lord a new song, Psalm 98, for he has done marvelous things. His right arm and his holy arm have worked salvation. He, he's done it. When, when he's given to David, he said, Are you, who am I that you should be so generous? That is what God is like. And then lastly, we'll finish with this. We're going to break bread as we, as we go. I'm not going to labor this point, but I am, it is perhaps the most important point. We want to be, understand the faithfulness of God. Paul says in Romans, if you want to read that chapter, it says, in verse 3, it says, verse 2, will our, their, Israel's unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Even if we're unfaithful in all these areas, will that stop God being faithful? And what is the answer? No. It says, let every mouth be shut. Nobody can say God is not a giving God. Faithful, committed to us, loves us. It goes on later, it says, we are made right or righteous by faith in the faithfulness of God. I've put my trust in Jesus, the faithful one, the one who's given his life for me, the one who's poured out himself for me. He's the faithful one. He's the faithful God. But faithful gods have faithful followers. Not because we try our best and grit our teeth, but because that is what it's like. And I want you to understand how much you've been forgiven, how much he's loved you in your poverty, how much he's cared for you in your uh, idolatry and chasing after other things, how much he's pursued you because he wants you to be shaped like him. And I want that for us, God, first, that our hearts would flow out, generous, overflowing, faithful to him. It says, he, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, that we might share the righteousness of God. This is an amazing gift. So we're going to break bread now. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.